hey, I want to, uh, without jumping too fast, I, I want to uh, take you in your mind's eye to a scenario. I want you to imagine uh, your boss's boss, maybe your spouse's boss's boss. Uh, j- just imagine that person in your mind's eye. So maybe, maybe it's a manager, maybe it's the owner of the company, whatever role you play or level you are at. But your boss's boss, somebody that you may not know that well, but somebody who you know uh, has some importance in life and in probably have in your life, but your boss's boss, that, that person. And I want you to imagine that your, your, your spouse or your, your direct supervisor or someone over you asked you to uh, host your boss's boss at your house in three weeks. Right? So three weeks, they're coming over to your house, they're going to eat a little dinner, they're going to hang around your Whatever it is you got, your fireplace, your wood stove, your kitchen table, I don't know. But they're going to they're, they're be at your house for in three weeks to, to do something. Now, here's what I promise you. Uh, if it were my home, this is what Polly would start with. Lance, you're painting the living room. And after we paint the living room, we're going to do the bathroom. And then we're going to do the whatever. So there would be like a list. Come on. Don't leave me alone. You know what I'm talking about, right? Your boss's boss is coming to your house, right? So you have this moment. And can I just tell you this? Your boss's boss is important. I mean, they're the ones. They're employing you. Thank you, boss's boss. I mean, they're, they're, I love that, right? Let me tell you, they're important, but there's, there's someone more important than that that I want to acknowledge today. I want to acknowledge the person that comes into this church in a couple of weeks who may not know the Jesus you know, who's lost and currently on the trajectory to a not a very good place. But they're at a place in their life right now where they're looking for something. They're, they're, they're caring in their heart to say, I just want to find out what it is. And, and they walk into this church in a couple of weeks or maybe even today or next week. And they find themselves in a place of peace and hope because, because you painted the walls and you put the carpet in. And you did nice things to say, you, you know, you said, welcome home. That's what you'd be saying to your boss's boss. And I'm here to say this morning that many of you put blood, sweat, tears, and money resources into getting all of this, this stuff done. And if this is your first time today, you don't know any different. And I'm telling you, it didn't look like this in a couple weeks ago, right? It was like a purple nightmare. It was, it was a lot. I'm te- no, I loved it. It was great. I loved what was going on. But there, there's, there, there's something different today, right? Come on. It's, it's even more funny that I'm standing up here where there's no stairs now. And I've looked at the gasp on all of you people's faces with my eyes closed as I was singing. You're like, don't step off, don't step off. Don't step. So I won't step off, I promise. Uh, but I'll tell you this, listen, I, I just want to say, uh, you, many of you were handed a card. Can you hold that up? A pledge card? If you weren't handed a pledge card, can you lift your hand? We'll get one into your hands. Here we go. We got one. Can we get our ushers, give them one as well? Pledge cards. Here's what I want you to do. I want uh, these pledge cards. Somebody will hand one around. Can I get somebody? Where's... Where's our ushers? <laughs> they all left out here. There we go, back there. We'll get you one. Here, listen, th- these pledge cards, what they are is this. Our pledge cards are going to give you an opportunity. We still have some ground to make up. Let, let me say, show you right here where we are. Here's what we've done so far. So far, we've painted, we've done the carpet. Now we still have the coffee shop to do, and we got a really good price on that. And, and also the atrium repair and the street sign, and we're going to do some painting in our parking lot. Listen, these are things that we're going to get done in these next couple of weeks. So lift your hand high if you need one. I want everybody who's part of our church to, to be a part of this message. Our messaging that we have here at Puget Sound Foursquare Church is, is really two words. You heard Elias say it today, welcome home. Our heart's desire is to communicate welcome home to every person that walks in our building. I want someone who walks in here that doesn't know Jesus walk in here and say, wow, there's, look at this, there's order, it feels great, I'm excited. You know, and, and I know that you would do that at your house. 
You would paint the walls if some guests were coming that was important. I'm telling you, as we prepare the groundwork for someone to find Jesus, now you might say to yourself, Lance, it's just paint. What does that have to do with anything? Well, if I went to your house, you tell me. If I went to your house and, it was, and, and your husband said, nope, not cleaning that up before our boss's boss is coming over, you'd, you'd strangle him, right? So I, I'm here to tell you that we get someone to come in here this next couple of weeks who's going to be introduced to Jesus. And we get to show them our very best. But let me tell you where we are right now financially. Here's, here's where we are so far. We have this slide here. Listen, we're about $64,530. Yay. Way to go, church. Awesome. We're almost there. We got about halfway to go. So let's get this done. I don't want to do this forever. I just want to be able to get done so we can go get the down payment on the sign. We're going to get a, how many of you been stuck on 56th Street and not been able to move? And you're like, I just want something to look at because I can't look at my phone because Lance said so. <laughs> Come on, right? And we have a sign that's going to be out here on the 56th Street intentionally saying things like, welcome home. It's going to be saying like you, something, I don't know, we're going to tell them what the, the Halloween party's coming or come be a part of our women's Bible study or whatever it is that we got going on. And we're going to tell the world as they're driving on 56th Street that this is a safe place to bring their babies. Come on. But we got to get that thing purchased. We got to do that. So let's all be a part of pledging this for the next several months. We're going to ask you to just pledge a certain amount if you could do that. And, and let's get this taken care of. At the end of the service today, there'll be ushers in the back, I promise with buckets, and we're going to have them put, you can put the, the offerings or that, that offering into that bucket for, as well, right? Amen? Amen. Jesus, thank you for that today. Hey, listen, we are uh, in a third week of a series entitled As One, As One, where we're talking about the family. Some of you uh, realize that in the middle of talking about family, can I just tell you this? I believe with all my heart that the family is the most powerful institution on planet Earth. It's not a government. It's not a, an industry. It's not a movement. It's not anything. The most powerful institution on the planet is the family. Whether you believe me or not, I said this last week, I can tell you who does believe me, the devil. He believes me because he's been trying to mess and redefine and twist and contort family for a super long time. You heard Pastor Steve talk about Cain and Abel and that whole thing. Why is he trying to mess with family? He messes with family because I think there was a purpose in family. The, I think the family had two purposes. The first purpose was for us to discover our identity. God's intention all along was for you and I to discover who it is that we really are in the context of family. It was supposed to be a safe place. It was supposed to be a, a, a place of discovery, a place of health, a place of just giving it a shot and somebody saying it's safe here. Too many of us were raised in families that were broken and hurting and, and, and didn't bring about that identity. And as a result, we live our life massively insecure. And we find ourselves always bumping into walls here and there, tripping over ourselves because we're living in a state of insecurity. When initially we were supposed to have begun our identity defined in the midst of family. We were supposed to have someone say, you can do it. Way to go. Nice try. Good for you. But all too often, many of us were, heard, were told just the opposite. You're a failure. You'll never be enough. She's better than you are. Why can't you be like your brother? There will be all these things that went into our worlds. And whether it was on purpose or by default, some of us live with the scars of brokenness from family. That was never God's plan. His plan was for us to discover in a safe, healthy environment who it is that we are, and the second purpose of family was for us to discover who it is that he is. He wanted family to be a place for us 
to define who he is. I mentioned this the other day about the fact that my understanding of father was always a little bit twisted because I was raised in a home where my biological father dipped out on me when I was a little boy, and my stepfather brought this understanding of father into my world that was anything but healthy. It was kind of crazy, and, and I remember having to be healed a bunch in this area of my life, realizing that the role of father, I'd be at church and someone would say, oh, let's worship Father God, and I would bristle on the inside because I didn't understand what this Father God thing was all about. I was like, can't you just say God leave it alone? Because I had this problem. I needed healing. Here's the crazy thing. Because God is so good and redeeming, in my world, I remember coming before the Lord and, and Polly and my wife and saying, honey, we have kids now. We don't know how to do this parenting thing because if I parent the way I was parented, I'm going to create a mess. So we began to go outside and figure out some wisdom from other people and resources. But here's the crazy thing. As I began to parent my children, the Lord began to heal my heart. I don't know how, but he, he even revealed himself to me through my family as the dad. And then the crazy thing was, he began, like for example, my kids when they were little, who, when they actually trusted me, right? They would, they would say to me, Daddy, I catch me, and they would jump off something, and I would catch them, right? And then we'd laugh, and we'd throw them back on the bed, and they would jump off again, and we'd throw them on the bed, and all that stuff that we would do. And then I'd be sitting down at a quiet moment, and the Lord would say, you trust me? I'll catch you. And I was weeping and just going like, oh, you love me like that. And there's times when he would say all those kind of moments where God would heal these wounded parts through family. That's what God intended was to help us identify who we really are, help us figure out our spiritual gifts, and reveal himself. And if you didn't get it the first go about, God will help you at any spot you're in today. His intention was to really begin to reveal those things to you in the context of family. And if you don't have family around you right now, and you're sitting in this church family, welcome home. You're in one now. Let God fix you and lead you and care for you and show you who he is and help you discover who you are. But you can open your Bibles, if you could, to Proverbs chapter 4. I want to talk to you this morning out of the Proverbs about wisdom from a father. I want to give you some wisdom, some fatherly advice. Now remember, Proverbs was a proverb. It was, a, it was written by King Solomon. King Solomon was the son of King David. And remember, it's important you know that. When King Solomon started his reign, he went before the Lord. And remember, God asked him, this is just a big fat paraphrase, but let me tell you, basically came before God and God said to him, what is it that I could give you before you start your reign as the king? And he said, God, all I want is wisdom to lead your people well. And God said, I will give you wisdom. In fact, you'll be the wisest dude on the planet. You will be a wise guy, right? You will be, <laughs> yay, that's funny. You'll be wise, but he said, because you didn't ask for money, I'll give you that as well. So not only was he wise, but he was loaded, right? So, I mean, you, you see the temple that he built was ridiculous. So he was very smart and very wealthy. And get this, he came from a father, King David, who is defined in our Bibles as a man after the very heart of God. So this was a guy who was, and by the way, King David's upbringing wasn't all that great. He didn't have much of a great fatherly figure himself. He figured some things out. Remember King David, when, his, when, when the prophet came to David's dad and said, hey, do you have any sons who we should anoint king? And he, he, the dad brings out all the sons except David, right? And then and finally he's like, you got any other sons? And the dad goes, yeah, yeah, I do, actually. Like, how do you forget a son, right? And so he goes out, 
brings David. David becomes the king. The, the point I'm trying to make is this. This particular hunk of wisdom is coming from a guy who was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But not only was he inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he was given wisdom from heaven. And he was raised under the heart of a man who had his heart completely after God. So something tells me what we're going to read here in our Bibles is going to be something of importance. There's something that we can read here that could help transform the trajectory of your life. How, how many of you need a little trajectory a transformation, right? Somewhere in your life, and you're like, I just don't know what to do. Let's see what the Bible says here. It's important, because in the context of family, we see a father talking to his sons. Here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, my children, listen to me, and listen, listen to me. Listen, I'm sorry, my children, listen to me. Listen to your father's instruction. Pay attention, he says, and grow wise, for I'm giving you good guidance. Don't turn away or run from it. For I too was once my father's son, tenderly loved by my mother, as my mother's only, or as as for my mother as an only child. My father told me, "Take my words to heart, follow my instructions, and you will live." I love this. So he's writing. He says, "Listen, take my words to heart. You're my child." Now he goes down. Go down to verse ten. In verse ten, I think is the crux of this whole passage. The crux of literally the whole proverb. This is what he says in Proverbs chapter 4. My child, listen to me and do as I say. You will have a long good life. I will teach you wisdom's ways and lead you in straight paths. If you live a life guided by wisdom, then you won't limp or stumble as you run. Carry out my instructions. Don't forsake them, but guard them. They will lead you to a fulfilled life. Let me paraphrase that whole paragraph into one sentence. What this passage is really all about is this. How to live a good, long, fulfilled life on a straight path. This chunk of wisdom is all about how to live a good, long, fulfilled life lived on a straight path. A good, long, fulfilled life lived on a straight path. How many would think that's a good idea? To figure out how, because we've been wondering a long time, how to live a good, long, fulfilled life on a straight path. I, I mean, some of you have left spouses for that sought after thing. You've, you've left homes. You, some of you have left jobs. Some of you have left churches in hopes of discovering a good, long, fulfilled life on a straight path. Some of you have taken loans out from the bank in order to discover how to live a good, long, Fulfilled life, lived on a straight path. Some of you have relocated homes from here to here, and you've decided you're going to cut this out and start adding that. You've changed your, your physical features. You've done different things in your life because you just want to discover how to live a good, long, fulfilled life, lived on a straight path. Man, we'll do anything to discover that. We see here in Proverbs where the wisest man on planet Earth, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us he's about to uncover the, the most important thing we could know on how to live a good, long, fulfilled life lived on a straight path. Is there anything else we want to do? Right? Get this. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say how to live a good, long, happy life on a straight path. By the way, it doesn't also say how to live a good, long, stress-free life 
on a straight path. It also doesn't say how to live a good, long, fulfilled life on a not bumpy path. It just simply says straight path. It doesn't mean that there's going to be a few ruts in the road. There's not going to be a few mountains to climb or a few hills to, to, to get out of or, or rest in. He just says how to live a good, long, fulfilled life on a straight path. That's the message. To me, if we could get this sink into our heads and realize that there, there, there's something that every single one of us is so desperately trying to acquire, and we'll do almost anything to find it. Some of us have spent time headed down wrong roads, totally, just in search of a good, long, fulfilled life, lived on a straight path. Some of you regret those decisions, and you've been living with the scars of those decisions because you've done everything you could to to try to manufacture a good, long, fulfilled life, lived on a straight path. Some of us wish we could take that stuff away and ignore it as if it never happened. Here's the great thing about God. He can even use that to help you in this journey and guide you along the way, if you'll listen, to find a good, long, fulfilled life lived on a straight path. Hmm. Before he goes into what it is that it's going to take to live a good, long, fulfilled life on a straight path, before he gets into the the how-tos, he gives us a couple, well, he gives us a couple free things. He gives us a couple of things that are, that are to just be understood. In other words, he says, there's two things I want to tell you that, that are gonna, we're all going to have to agree on or I can't give you the instructions on how to have a good, long, fulfilled life on a straight path. He gives us two things that we all have to agree to. It's kind of like uh, going to the doctor and saying, doctor, I really would like to lose some weight. And the doctor says to you, hey, that's great. Good for you. It'll help a lot of things in your life if you lose a little weight. So here's the deal. Promise me that you're going to exercise and eat right. And then I'll give you the whatever it's going to take to help you lose that weight. Most of us are like, yeah, when I leave here, I'm getting cheeseburger and fries. But I really would like to lose some weight and get healthy. See, listen, the writer of this particular proverb says, listen, I have something for you, but we've got to agree on a few things. If we agree on two things that are, that are the given, that, that, that are literally in a two-column proof or the free space in the bingo card, somewhere it says literally the givens, let's agree to a couple things. So before I give you the how-tos, let's look at a couple of things he says to agree on. Deal? First thing he says is this. Number one, don't do as wicked people do. That's all he says. Don't do as wicked people do. In fact, it says this in verse 14. Don't do as the wicked people do or follow the path of evildoers. Avoid their haunts. Turn Turn away and go somewhere else. For evil people cannot sleep until they've done their evil deed for the day. They can't rest until they've caused someone to stumble. They, can't eat, they eat wickedness and they drink violence. The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like complete darkness. Those who follow it have no idea what they're stumbling over. The word wicked in the Hebrew actually is translated people who are hostile to God. He says, don't do as people who are hostile to God. For us to begin to even get the instructions on how to have a good, long, fulfilled life lived on a straight path, we have to agree that we can't continue to do as people who are hostile to God are doing. We just got to agree that that's not going to help us, right? Wicked people. What are wicked people? People who are hostile to God. By the way, it doesn't say avoid them at all cost. 
It doesn't say, go up and buy a hunk of land up in northern Montana, dig a hole, stick a big box in it, and a, and, and a chair, and just live your life out. He literally says this, live among them, but don't do as they do. You're wondering, well, what is it the wicked people do? I can tell you this, turn on your TV for eight seconds. Watch a commercial. Flip on your phone, look at MSNBC, I don't know. Look at somewhere, you're going to find somebody doing something crazy. Right? Don't do as people who are hostile to God are doing. If we can agree that that's a trajectory we want to walk out in our lives, then maybe we can begin to see a little bit more about how to live a long, fulfilled life on a straight path. First of all, he says, don't do as wicked people do. Second thing is this. Second thing is this, is that we need to learn how to listen carefully. Proverbs 20 says this, pay attention, my child, to what I say. Listen carefully and don't lose sight of my words. Let them penetrate deep in your heart, for they will bring you long, radiant life to anyone who discovers their meaning. I love that. Literally, it says this, for us, the, the second thing, the second given that we're to do is, first of all, we have to not do as wicked people do. And the second thing is this, we need to listen carefully. The actual Greek translation of the word listen there is chashev, which means to lean forward and listen up. Lean forward and listen up. It's, a, it's an intention. It's, it's, a, it's a purposeful thing. That if we're going to listen, we've got to decide to put distractions away and look forward. In other words, it's got to be something in our life that's important enough to shut out the noise. If we're going to learn how to live a, a long, fulfilled life, lived on a straight path, then we've got to shut some noise out of our life and begin to say, I'm not going to do as the wicked do, but I am going to listen to what God says. Right, so if we can agree that those two things are, are, are the foundation upon which this nuggets of wisdom are about to be shed to us, then I think we can begin to move on. Now, now because I don't want to rush past this, I think I'm going to take the next three weeks in our family series to unpack this particular passage. But let me tell you, first of all, what it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. I love this. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, everyone say that with me, above all else, above all else, right? Can I tell you, if you ever read those words, you should probably allow them to sink in a little deeper. Above all else, above all else, above all else. I don't know how else to say it except to say like, he's about to tell us something that's going to bring truer than anything else. Come on, he's about to tell us something. Remember how to live a good, long, fulfilled life on a straight path. He's going to tell us now how to do that. So he starts out easily in this verse, and he says, listen, we have a couple of understood things. We know that before we're going to get this instruction, we got to agree to not do as wicked people do and to listen to what God says. Now he tells us, he says, above all else. Here's what he says. Above all else, guard your for it affects everything you do. <coughs> Excuse me. Avoid perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path through your feet and stick to the path and stay safe. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from stumbling on evil, from following evil. I'm going to slow the train down a little bit and just deal with one thing at a time. I think there's three big rocks that are here in this passage of Scripture. The first is guard your heart. Uh, remaining time with us. I want to talk to you about how to guard your heart. Because if he says, above all else, guard your heart, something tells me there's something in there that we should pay attention to. What is your heart? So in the Old Testament, the, the word heart, actually in the New Testament as well, was what was called the seat 
the, the seat or the center place of your thoughts, emotions, and passions. It was the place where that stuff resided, right? Uh, we today wouldn't say the seat of my emotions or say, well, we might say my heart. I don't feel that in my heart. Most of us would say, I feel it deep in my gut, right? The same thing. Literally was saying, this is the place where, I'll, in fact, the, the message translation actually says it this way. The message translation says, the starting place of life is your heart. The American, New American Standard translation or the American Standard version says it this way, that the heart is the wellspring of life. It's the starting place of important things. It's the life source. Your heart is that place. Something tells me when Solomon says, above all else, guard that place in your heart, that place where thoughts are birthed, that place where emotions are had, that place where you begin to go down paths that are good or bad, right or wrong. He literally says, guard it. Why would he tell us the most important thing is to guard the wellspring of your brain, your heart, your mind, your gut, your whatever it is? Because if we don't guard it, it's left unguarded. And if it's left unguarded, it's, a, it's vulnerable to the attack of anything. It's vulnerable to the attack of a bad thought from your past. It's vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. It's vulnerable to a depressing moment. It's vulnerable to a lot of things if you don't guard your heart. We must choose. By the way, it's a choice. He says to chashev. He literally means this. Lean forward and listen up. You have to choose to listen up. You have to choose to guard your heart. Hmm. My wife, my wife and I, we're finishing up uh, this financial freedom course. It's great. Uh, Dave uh, Ramsey. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, I'm telling you, it really is. We, you know, because we raised our three kids. They're, they're out on their own. They're doing fantastic. But we're now empty nesting it. So we're trying to figure out what to do with our finances and how to do it right and what to invest and all that stuff. And so we're learning a lot in this class. And Rich and Crispy, you guys are killing it. But I'm telling you, it's been an amazing class. We're learning a bunch. So the other night, we were stuffing the envelopes in our house. And uh, my wife had a kick out of that, right? I handed her a, a stack of dough, and so she's putting, you know, so much money in the food envelope and so much money in the clothes envelope and so much money in the whatever envelope, and she's doing all this. Just My wife is like that. She's just like feeling like, I love this. So she's putting it all away. So, so here's, here's the crazy thing about this. So my wife, uh, we have a conference coming up. It starts tomorrow up in Seattle. It's the Foursquare Conference. It's going to be, there's a lot of people coming. It's going to be great. So I'm up there. It's, it's basically the big company picnic. Right? So I'm going up to the company picnic. It's going to be fun. But every time we go to this conference every year, I'm telling you, my wife says, honey, uh, I need to buy a new outfit. Going to the conference, I need to buy a new outfit. Right? Listen, all the ladies are like, uh-huh. Right? So, or John Hahn. But everyone else is like, you know, want to buy a new outfit. Right? All the time. Right? So, so I, however, am kind of like, you got some already, looks great, what's the deal, right? So she's like, I need to buy a new outfit. No, here's what this time was different. I said, hey, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you use the money in the clothes envelope and go shopping? Knock yourself out! And she's like, what? And she looks in the envelope and she goes, no. I was like, what? I said, honey, you can spend it, man. You can spend away, like it's in there. It's earmarked for that, it's the budget. Go for it. And she's like, no, I'm not doing it. I was like, why? She's like, I set a guard in my heart over that place, and I'm not going there now. And I was like, she didn't use those words, but she used something like that, right? So you know what I said? I was like, Jesus, you showed up in my house. 
I, I even spoke in tongues. I was like, Jesus. No, no, I'm kidding. But I can tell you this. <laughs> you know what happened? It wasn't that my wife is like turned into a crazy saver, though that would be awesome. She's actually at a place where she's saying, I want to guard my heart over this finances. I want to guard my emotions to run and just do something. I mean, we even had, literally, I'm not kidding. We have a, an envelope there for fingernail stuff. Not kidding. If you don't budget that, you're dumb. But it was in there, right? So fingernail stuff. And, and so it's in there. And I was like, well, go get your fingernails done. She's like, no. And I was like, what are you doing? She's last night painting your fingernails. I was like, add a girl. Where have you been for 30 years? <laughs> no, I, I'm telling you, I'm so proud of her. And again, it's there to spend, so I'm not worried about it because we budgeted for it. The point I'm trying to make is this. When you put a guard over your heart, you start to think different. When you put a guard over your over your emotions. See, your emotions are a lot like money. Many of us get deposits into our emotions, and some of us just spend it like crazy. Some of us take that in, and we're just like, you know what? You're right. I'm an idiot. You're right. I'm dumb. You're right. I'm crazy. And we take it in. I'm a failure. I'll never be enough. And we get all these deposits, and here's what we do. We just spend it. We're like, yep, 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 and we keep on spending it instead of putting it into the right envelope that says, no, you're not. You are somebody special. God told you so. You're created into my image and put them in the right envelopes. You see, too often we just start spending it when we get it in. Some of you have been taking in some deposits that you don't need to receive. You've been hanging on tight to some of that stuff. Hmm. How do you set a guard over your heart? Let me go quickly. Here's how you set a guard over your heart. Now, again, some of this may not sound all that spiritual, but I'm going to tell you how I do it. This is how I have decided in my life to put a guard over my heart. First of all, I start with 2 Corinthians. So first of all, to, to, to set a guard over your heart, your thoughts and emotions, you have to catch your thoughts before they catch you. That's the foremost thing. You've got to catch your thoughts. If you don't catch your thoughts, they're going to catch you, I promise, every single time. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It says, we demolish arguments of every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Listen to this. And we take captive, we take captive every thought, listen to this, to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought that comes in, our job is to make it obedient to Christ. Did you know that? Your job is to, just like with finances, you take the money in, your job is to make your money obedient to Christ. That's why Pastor Steve stood up here and said, let's give a tithe. And we tithe. That's why at the end of this thing today, I'm going to say, let's give an offering. We're going to make whatever it is that you got obedient to Christ. If you're taking deposits into your life of I'll never, I shoulda, I'm worthless, I can't, that guy hurt me, she hit me, whatever it was that hurt me, all that stuff. And you start taking these deposits in and you start having these horrible feelings. You need to make it obedient to Christ. Somebody say amen or something. Listen to this. Five ways on how to catch your thoughts. Number one. First of all, accept responsibility for your thoughts. If we're going to take our thoughts and make them obedient to Christ, we need to take responsibility of our thoughts. In other words, you can have a fleeting thought that you didn't plan on, but what you do with the very next thought is what you're responsible for. Fleeting thoughts are going to hit you all the time. That's how the enemy messes with you, right? He throws thoughts at you. Your job is to make the thoughts obedient to Christ. You need to take responsibility over that by saying, yep, you know what? What most of us do is we feed that, that thought. 
And we start to say, I will never be enough. I, I do deserve more. I should be the one who got the promotion. I, whatever it is. And we begin to feed the thought and it starts to grow. Right? We have to take responsibility over those thoughts and say, I have a choice on what, to, what it is that I'm going to take captive or it will take me captive. Number two. Number two. When your thoughts start to take you captive, get up and walk around. All right? This isn't all that spiritual, but I'm telling you, get up and walk around. Here's what happens with your thoughts. More often than not, our thoughts come into our brain and they start to tell us something. They don't usually tell us you're awesome and amazing and no one else is like you. More often than not, they tell you something that's not good, right? And typically, we're sitting still, sedentary, and we take it in. Here's my suggestion to you. When that starts to happen and you start to have crazy thoughts, stand up and walk around your house. When you have a crazy thought, get up and walk around your desk. Go to the bathroom and get a cup of, whatever it is, go to the office and get a cup of coffee. Do something different, physical. Why? Because if, when you begin to engage other parts of your body, take three balls out of your desk drawer and start juggling them. Do, do something, right? Just do something physical different. Because you're, right now, your, your brain is the thing that's doing all of the activity. Sometimes getting up and switching positions will actually help you begin to jar yourself into the right thought. Because your thoughts start to take you captive. What captive means is it wants to shackle your wrist and close your, you can't get anything, you're stuck there, right? you got to take it captive before it takes you captive. Get up and move around and remind yourself you're not captive. Number three, identify the truth in the thought you've just had. Identify the truth in the thought you've had. I'm supposed to stand up here and tell you to identify the lie. All right, let me tell you this. I want you to identify the truth because we spend a lot of time listening to the lie. Uh, you might have a thought that says, I don't like my boss. She's terrible. Boy, that lady, I'll tell you what, I could give her a piece of my mind. Here, let me tell you the truth in that thought. The truth is, she's the boss. You're the not. She signs your check, not you, right? Identify the truth. The truth is, she might be wrong, but she's the boss. And at some level, watch yourself, <laughs> Right? So identify the truth and realize that your next step might be poor. Your next step might just be take a deep breath and move along because it ain't that big a deal. I don't know. Identify the truth. Identify the fact that he is your husband or she is your wife and that decision you're about to make could mess things up. Identify the truth in the thought you're having. And number four, number four, remind yourself, remind your thoughts of God's word. I think if we, if, we, if we don't do that, then we're really messing it up. If we want to get, if we want to take captive our thoughts, we need to literally remind our thoughts of God's word. You got to tell yourself. Sometimes you need to say it out loud. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. There is no weapon formed against me that will prosper. I, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You begin to say it sometimes out of your mouth so your ears hear it. Because if your ears aren't hearing it, your brain on the inside will start formulating a doubt. It starts saying, not enough. You have to fight it with the sword of truth, right? And that's when you do it, after you've gotten up and walked around, after you've thought about the truth in it, after literally you've said, I'm going to take captive this thought. And then the last thing you need to do is this. This is what I do. Force your thoughts to something completely different. If I want to capture my thoughts, I literally have to force myself to think of something completely different. Now again, those of you who are hoping for me to say something deep and spiritual, I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes the capturing of your thoughts are just simply a matter of you taking it captive. 
I know me, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I love his word, but sometimes God's word for me isn't the thing that gets me off into right places. Sometimes I, I gotta shake myself out of it. I gotta get up from my desk and walk around. I gotta say, listen, stop thinking that bad thought, start thinking this right one. Right? It, so sometimes what I do is I do number five. I, I replace it with a right thought or a good thought or a different thought. I have to literally choose this. So for example, uh, there's been times in my life that have been worse than others. And when I've had my deepest, darkest moments, I, I wished I could stand up here and tell you, I just sat down and spoke in tongues and said all the right spiritual things. Can I tell you what really got me out of it sometimes? I thought about the Seahawks. I thought about the draft. I, I thought about Russell Wilson and his passing rating. I, I, it's pathetic. But I'm not kidding. It just helped shake me off my mark. Enough to where I could go back to God's word, right? And what I'm saying to you is this, today, right now, at a moment that you're not, maybe you're not in a really hard, emotional thought moment, but you wanna take your thoughts captive, think of a thought right now that you can put into your back pocket, into your purse, into your wallet, into your iPad, your whatever you got. Think of a thought that's a good one, one that forces you to think on it. And then when that time comes, and the enemy says you're not enough, you'll never be. Chew on it for a minute. Remind yourself, remind yourself of that day when it was really sunny and you were at a picnic with your family. Remind yourself of something other to shake you off your mark because if you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts are gonna take you captive. And some of us have been living our life being held captive far too long. Next week, I'm going to talk about, literally, next week, I'm going to talk about how to avoid perverse talk. He says, above all else, guard your heart. And next, he says, watch your tongue. We're going to talk next week about our tongue and what that little thing can do to start a forest fire, what that little thing can do to turn a huge ship in the ocean. We're going to talk about our, our talk and what it really means. I'm going to help you learn how to do, literally, how to walk out a life, a, a long, fulfilled life, Lived on a straight path. So this morning, will you join me as we pray? Lord, this morning, we thank you for your grace. Thank you so much for your word and its practicality. Thank you for Solomon, inspired by your spirit, raised by a son who was after your heart, God, who would give us literally words to live by the wisest thing we could possibly know, the first thing he says was to guard our hearts. I pray today that you would help us to take these practical things and to put them into practice in our life. We need you, God. We need you a bunch. In Jesus' name, amen.